The Starfleet Manual offers no regulatory guidelines for interactions between humans with Klingons grafted to their bones and a ship's doctor returned from the dead. to Rediscovery, the Star Trek recap podcast with the record for the most time elapsed between an episode and the events in its previously on segment. I'm Ben McKenzie, your faithful science officer, and as always, I'm joined on the bridge by Captain Carla Donnelly. Greetings, Captain. Hello, Benjamin. How are you? I'm very well. How are you feeling about this episode? Amazing. Me too. Yeah, good. Oh, Shall we talk about it? Yes, please. If memory serves, shatters and rebuilds relationships and trusts. What should be mended is found still broken as the consequences of past events catch up with the characters, and all this happens through the catalyst of a planet and people rooted firmly in the past of our favourite Captain Pike. We're reminded of the Enterprise's visit to Talos IV before joining Giorgio and Leland aboard their Section 31 ship, where Giorgio is already gaining favour with the Starfleet Admiralty. She orders Pike to stay put, analysing the debris of the destroyed squid probe, and he complies, but still has Saru calling Vulcan medical facilities to see if they can locate Burnham and Spock. Tyler urges caution. He's loyal to Burnham and opens up to Pike about their past relationship, but has found a home at Section 31. Later, Saru confides to Pike that someone has been sending encrypted transmissions, increasing the feeling that something isn't right. Hugh also doesn't feel right, reacting with cold intensity to seeing Tyler and later lashing out at Stamets when he tries hard to make him feel at home. Things ultimately boil over when he confronts Tyler in the mess hall, and despite Tyler's attempts to placate him, the two fight. Saru tells the crew to let it happen, believing it is a necessary catharsis. Afterwards, he tells Stamets the person he loved is dead and they both need to move on. Stamets sadly relents. Burnham's shuttle emerges from warp around Talos IV only to find a black hole, but Spock wakes enough to stop her from altering course, and they fly right through it, finding it an illusion. On the planet's surface, they meet Vina, a human woman encountered by Pike and Spock on their previous visit. She invites them below the surface where they meet the Talosians, who tell her Spock's mind is unstuck in time. Burnham realises Spock brought them here because he knew the Talosians' immense psychic abilities could heal him, but as payment, they want to see the memory of how Michael hurt Spock as a child. Vina convinces her to agree, but she wants to see Spock's mind first. She sees his memories of the Red Angel, how it helped him save her when she ran away from home, and more recently, called him to an icy world where he melded with her and saw a vision of the future in which countless planets were destroyed by powerful missiles. Afterwards, Spock is conscious and reveals Michael was right. He brought them here, but more so needed her to come, because only someone who knew his life well could sort his mind back into linear time. He has seen possible futures, and also knows that the Red Angel is human. He then shows her the memory of what happened at the psychiatric institution. He was about to leave when he was informed Section 31 was coming to take him into custody, so he knocked out, but did not kill, the staff in order to escape. Back on Discovery, Pike has a visitor, his complicated love interest from Talos for Vina. She reveals to Pike that Michael and Spock are on Talos and need his help. Michael confirms that Spock is innocent, so Pike fires up the spore drive for the rescue mission. However, it won't work, 
Someone has sabotaged the Spore Hub and been sending secret encrypted messages to unidentified recipients authorised by Tyler's command code. Tyler is prime suspect and is confined to quarters. Arium's eyes flash three red dots. <gasps> On Talos 4, Michael pays the Talosians for their assistance by sharing her full history with Spock. We learn rather chastely that in order to protect her family, she crushes baby Spock's half-human feelings, telling him she doesn't want to freak like him as her brother. Section 31, catch up to Discovery and demand they stop. Pike complies and they drop into orbit outside of Talos 4. In a classic switcheroo, the Talosians project a version of Michael and Spock onto Section 31, whilst the real pair fly Michael's shuttle onto Discovery. In the most understandable but shocking move thus far, the entire crew agree to mutiny and go on the lamb until they clear Spock's name. Giorgio is ecstatic. How will Leland explain this to Starfleet Command? How will he, Ben? He won't. <laughs> he's going to be out. Oh, he's in so much What's trouble. What's going to happen to him? Uh, he's going to die. Surely he's going to die, don't you think? Yeah, medical experiments, I'm hoping. I don't know. Like, They'll destroy I feel his like, mind with that memory thing. I feel like they medically experiment quite heavily. Yeah. On, in section 31. Oh, yeah. Well, they've got the that memory thing they've got. I didn't realize this last episode. They said it's Terran it's technology. It's from the Terran universe. How? Did she just, like, remember how to do it? Yeah. Well, she is a genius. Yeah, that's true. I guess she built it. It looks... I mean, it looked sinister and Terran. <laughs> it had the, like, the distinctive orange glow instead of distinctive blue glow. <laughs> I love how Giorgio, like, the first lady in the White House, I'm going to love what she does with the interior decoration to Section 31 when she's the captain. <laughs> it's just all going to go orange, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to go black and orange and everything's going to be dark. It's going to be much darker. Well, yeah. I mean, what's up with her eyesight? That's something that we can talk about later. Maybe she's had it corrected. Potentially. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel about this? Oh, I loved it. Me too. Oh, my oh, God. Heaven. Heaven. Such a good time. Heaven. Yeah, it was so good. Although I did kind of like tap my, t- my, I was going to say my TV, but I don't have one, a projector. Yeah. Because, get this, like I'm too impatient to wait for the 7 p.m. release on Netflix, so I actually illegally downloaded it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Carla. I know. And so I thought I had r- downloaded the wrong file. <laughs> When and I was like, no, I've downloaded season two of original Star Trek or something no. like that, season two, episode eight. Oh. Uh, it took me a second to realize, but then it was thrilling. It was so much fun. I really that was enjoyed so unexpected. That. Yeah, I didn't see it coming, and it was just fun to see them just reuse the old footage. Like, I and, did the, see and the way they chose to sort of. The, the the brief narrative that they chose oh, yeah, to like, display. Like they were showing little slides of it yeah. and they were pulling them out. Yeah, that was nice. I liked it a lot. And they used the original music. Yeah. And I I saw some people online like sort of arguing about uh, how they thought they should have refilmed them with the, the new cast and the new look Talosians and, and stuff. And I'm like, no, we don't need that. It did make me feel like wouldn't it be cool – Kind of like the American Office did, went just reshot it. The original mm. season series. I mean, they could ed- anyway. It made me fantasize about that. Probably yeah. just more answered mount time, but you know. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I would love that. What if they yeah. just uh, did like a new? Se- they just after this, they do another spinoff, which is just the Adventures of Pike. Yes, that would be great. Yeah, uh, Pike and Spock forever. Uh, but I am um, and number one. I mean, that would work. I think we'd all watch that, like yeah. the early Enterprise adventures. Uh, but I, it is interesting, and I'll talk more about this in short chats, but this is a, there's a contrast with Doctor Who here because both during the 50th anniversary and during the re- most recent um, regeneration story, uh, they open with footage from a, an original Aww. first Doctor story. Uh, and that's like a similar gap. But the difference is that 
those shows are like a continuation of that story that just accepts the old episodes as what happened and they've never sort of gone back and changed any of the old stuff. Um, and whenever they feature the old stuff, like the old Doctor Who stuff in the new series, they've recreated it to look like the original okay. series. Um, but that's I think that makes more sense because the the Doctors, like the TARDIS, for example, has a very different look in the old days. Mm. It looks much more primitive, but it's at the same time, it's not human technology. It's not meant to look human. Mm. And so if you recreate the original console, it doesn't feel like that's not from the future. It still feels a bit weird and mm. alien, whereas... Now, I think, you know, obviously, if you're making a Star Trek show now, even if it's set at the same time, you, you wouldn't get away with, with shit like what the original Star Trek And maybe like. that's what, how they also cherry-picked that tiny bit of narrative. Do you think that it was even worth putting that in or do you think it was just a sweet little cute little wink for everyone so that they could see, you know? Oh, look, I think, I think they were having fun, you know. Yeah, I, think, okay. I think they've... They've been hinting at all this Talos stuff, you know, what with the, the fortune cookie message in the first episode yeah. with um, a couple of little references here and there with um, the reveal of the name of the place last episode. Um, and now, you know, they're going to show it, but they're like, in case you missed it, because you know what? Some Star Trek, I mean, if you're watching Star Trek on Netflix now, the cage is, is up there as episode one, as we discussed last time. Yeah. But that's not always the case, you know? No, and it did actually make me go and watch The Menagerie, but we'll talk about that in short chats. I, I think, think that, that think yeah, we we'll park it for that. But I enjoyed it, and I, and I think they're, they're having fun with it. Like, they're, they're just having that nod to the past, mm. but not erasing it, and I, and I, I really appreciated that. I did too, and I love the way that the storylines are melding. Mm. Um, it makes me really curious as to what could potentially be in the next season as well, mm. where, where these kinds of things can intersect and um, overlap. Yeah. Um, but there's a, a lot to talk about here. Oh, I mean, yeah. everything's sort of wrapping up. But first things first, I didn't think that you could do a mind meld on a helmet. Uh, is that is yeah. that how it works? Or well, it's just kind of like well, kinesiology or something? I think, uh, well, <laughs> I think the, the the there's a ritual that goes along with it, which mm. is the sort of placing of the fingers in the, in the right points on someone's face. But I, I don't, I think it has happened in the show without that um well, it clearly has now so yeah well exactly but go. i think uh, but in the flashback he is doing that on the helmet yeah he's just not doing it on their face no. so so i guess but he and he does say like there's a quantum field he couldn't get through but he can still mind meld so i yeah. guess that means like in the star trek canon um brainwaves are not affected by quantum field i don't know um sorry that was a really dumb question to open with <laughs> no no it was great i was that's fine like this is we're, we're doing a star trek podcast carla if we can't ask questions about the minute who can sure when can we talk about it it's just it feels like this episode's all over the place so i feel like i just have little little snippets of things that Bring i want out. to talk about that's right the listeners have, have watched it they'll they'll keep up um obviously Pike is beautiful. He's got this love. Our Melissa. We haven't even said anything about that. Our, oh, our Melissa George. How, it was so good to see her. As Vina. Oh, she was great. I, I got it. Like, because I have to admit, like, I, I actually think, and I can't remember that. I'm going to have to look up the actor's name, but the original actor who played Vina in The Cage is one of the most striking looking people. Yeah, she's stunning. She's amazing. And I think um, Melissa George does a great job mm. um, of the part. And, and I, I think they made the right choice by not trying to cast someone Kind of like with everybody else, like not trying to cast someone who looks like the original actor, but who has the same kind of vibe and the same kind of um, attitude. Mm. And and I think, um, yeah, I think she was great. I think she did such a good job. 
I agree. Very longing. And yeah. you got to really see that side of Pike, which is so sad. That conversation they have on the Discovery in his, like, ready room. Yeah. Wow. Just, yeah. and you could see how uncomfortable he was, but he was like, it was the right thing to do to leave you behind. But at the same time, what could we have had? And I think that's that's kind of nice. Like, I, I think it slots in very nicely. Parallels into with his, you. Well, yeah, it does. But I think also it slots in really nicely into his storyline because we only have those two bits of his life in, in the canon, you know, um, like his mission to Talos and then him going back there at the end of his life. Um, it's nice. To, I think this slots nicely in between. You know, I think this fits. I agree because in the original series, he's quite brusque, you know, like he's very barky. Yeah. And you can see how this experience could have turned him into the captain he is on Discovery. Yeah. So that's a really sweet little disarming, bridging moment for him. Mm. And, I, and I think he, because um, it's not that long ago, I think, I think, I can't remember. It was like three years it's or like something. like two or three years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, it's still, still a long time, mm. like to have not seen someone that, you know, you made that kind of connection with. So, yeah. How did you feel about the updated Telosian heads? I thought they were fine. They were did good. you? I mean, they weren't as big, but it, it, I did think it was interesting that they had such a redesign when we saw the original ones in the intro sequence. And it's it's always I thought the original ones were cool as. I wish they had just recreated them. Well, they are, but they're very they're very <laughs> of their time color. I said this last time. They're very nineteen fifties sci fi. Like that was full of like little men in flying saucers with these enormous veiny throbbing heads. The idea being that, like future humans, they would be more cerebral and less physical, so they'd be quite physically frail but much smarter, mm. um, which is kind of such an out- <laughs> it's a real outdated kind of idea about aliens now, but it is kind of cool. And it's just such a, I, I don't know, it also feels like it's a very on-the-nose, obvious way to go, these people are hugely psychic. They've got massive heads and massive brains. Um, but, you know, it works. I thought it was fine. I liked their new duds. I thought their new outfits were cool. <laughs> it was a nice reinterpretation. And it was, it's interesting. You don't often get to see such a direct, you know, like I think the other direct kind of redesign that we've seen uh, that I that I think is comparable is the, you know, the, the Enterprise-style Starfleet uniforms, mm. the, the, you know, and I really like the redesign of those as well. So yeah, I think, me too. I think the designers on this show are doing such a killer job. Yeah, absolutely. Reinterpreting this old stuff. Yeah. Yeah, this really sucker punched me in the sweet spot, this yeah. episode. I'm just like, it gave me all the feels. I'm excited to see where it goes now that Discovery... If I didn't know that the third season was greenlit, I'd be fucking worried, to be perfectly honest, that it was going to end at the at the end of this season. Yeah. With yeah. the whole crew going on <laughs> mutiny and now going on the, on the run. That like they'd all die or something. Well, or just... You know, the discovery is decommissioned and everybody goes to prison. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I really liked how quickly all the crew are just like, yep, no, we're on board, Pike. No worries. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we're, we're, we're on to this. Yeah. That was pretty great. I think they're all united. I think they're all shady on the Federation. So I think, you know, with everything that's happened. Yeah. And they were just kind of like, yep. We're totally with you and we're a united front. Mm. Apart from like the terrifyingly cool vision of the robot octopus from the future coming <laughs> to destroy the universe. Yeah. Um, there's not really much more that I have for this episode beyond short strat uh, stuff. I, w- I want to talk more about some of the plot stuff. I mean, what yeah, about, for it. how about Spock and, and Michael's past? 
What did you think? I just thought it was very uh, mild. Well, this is what I thought too. Like after the massive build-up, you know, and he even says, I know you were just like trying to push my emotional buttons. Mm. And then she goes, it was much more than that. I needed to, I needed the family to be safe. And you're like, no, it wasn't much more than that. I think the other thing that I found shocking was that it was something she did as a child. Like I didn't think that. I thought it was going to be something she did as an adult. Yeah, me too. Because adults irrational that way and that they look at what they've done as children and you go well you're a kid you didn't know any better you're just trying to hurt me and you you're a kid you didn't understand the implications of that and there's been a lot of time and I just yeah I just felt like that's it like well and also children are incapable of incredible cruelty oh yeah you know so I actually think that this was a change in the baton of writers because I think everyone I, I get the overall feeling that everyone was incredibly sick of the really extreme soap opera stuff that the old writers were developing for the show. Sure. So I think that that was just a popping of the balloon of this and just letting it fly under the radar. Okay. I mean, she was still pretty horrible to him. And also little darling baby Spock, who was just the cutest child on the face of the earth. Oh, my God. Liam Hughes. I just wanted to give him a big hug. I know. And so you just see his little face crumble and it's like he obviously adored her and worshipped her. Yeah. And she said, I never, you know, you're a loser. I never want to speak to you again. That's pretty crushing for a little brother. That is pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope they get over it in the next few episodes. But crushing enough to, like, have this level of animosity then for the rest of their relationship. And so crushing that she couldn't even tell Amanda what she'd said. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, surely Amanda could have con- guessed yeah. what she said. There's like- some continuity st- stuff here. Unless, like, that kind of stuff is just so heinous on Vulcan because well, it's so emotionally manipulative. I guess the other thing is that they probably... I mean, you never get the idea that there's much in the way of racism on Vulcan, right? So, um, also, I mean, come on, the the... It was really hard to watch, like, a black actor calling another character a half-breed and, like, Mm. using these really (laughs) racial, vilifying terms. It was like, oh! And you could see, like, Sonequa Martin-Green, when she's doing the lines as as the adult versions, you could just see her going, like, when she has that expression just before she says it because she's, like, being forced to remember it. Just, oh, you could just see. I mean, they sold it. They did sell it. i got to say, they did a great job of the scene, but I still feel... I was like, that was awful, but not as awful as I was expecting. Sure. Um, but, you know, that's good. I, that's great. I mean, like in this day and age of television, how nice to see something awful that's not as awful sure. as you thought rather <laughs> than it be the other way around. But Spock is so salty now. Like, come on, everyone. He's very – like he, he talks about how much he's like rejected his emotions and embraced the Vulcan way of life. He's got a lot of sass he's on him. Super pissy for <laughs> someone who has done some serious Vulcan work, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, we got to talk about the Hugh situation. Well, I think it parallels what I was talking about previously about the fortune cookie. Yeah. So I think his little storyline parallels that quite well. Right. Okay. Um. And he's come back. I don't know. Like, I find this pretty... I'm The whole storyline is dead to me. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Okay, I it's get It's just that. a bunch of bullshit. Like, and now they're back together and now they're breaking up. And it's like, oh, yeah, couples can't survive when something major happens to somebody. It's like, well... Mm, okay. Unless Hugh goes on to do something fucking amazing, <laughs> right? I hope so, because he just sort of I vanished hope so, for an too. episode. I did love that killer fight that him and Tyler had. That was pretty great. But it was also pretty amusing because Tyler is 
so much taller than him. So it's like there was these really awkward camera angles trying to make it look like much more competitive than it was. Well, I also, like, I thought that worked though, because I think it it sold to me that like Tyler really doesn't want to hurt him. And so he's, he's in that position of someone who's much stronger and much, a much better fighter. Like, sure. You know, and that's and a good he's point. A, he's a Klingon. I mean, a Klingon with like bits <laughs> he of human. He's a Klingon, Ben. <laughs> with bits of human grafted onto him. Not not the other way around, as Saru says, which <laughs> made, drove me nuts. I'm like, you put a convoluted thing in there, stick to it. Like, I don't come think on, anyone guys. knows what's going on. Oh, <laughs> so it made me angry. Anyway, uh, just that one line. But uh, but the, the fight was great. And I thought, yeah, he's in that position where he knows that he could kill this guy. I mean, he already did once. So. He's trying not to hurt him. Awkward. But Hugh's like bringing it. And I did get the impression they pitched that really well because he, I never felt like Tyler was in any danger. No. He was just sort of like going to, and, and if necessary, would have let Hugh beat the shit out of him. Sure. But he, he, there was not really much danger of that. But I love the way it ended too when Hugh's like, I don't even know who I am anymore. And, and <laughs> Tyler just says, who do you think you're talking to? And you're like, <laughs> oh, shit, dog. Oh, yeah. snap. Nice. <laughs> that was great. Um, and then, I mean, look, I know, I, I know you don't want to talk about it. It's I, okay. I want to hear your feelings about it. Well, I feel like it, it is, there is still that parallel to Buffy's return where it's just, it just doesn't feel right. I mean, this, it's different because he did go through hell and it's kind of like what the other characters on Buffy thought Buffy had been through for those first couple of episodes. Mm. They're like, you know, she's been through hell. Like, she's not going to be the same when she comes back. And then eventually they find out, no, she went to heaven. And that's why she's not the same when she's come back. Yeah. And he has been through, sort of through hell. I mean, I don't know. And there's there's all these references in this episode where he's like, eats the food. And he's like, but it just doesn't taste right. There's something not right. And he's really tetchy. He's really angry. And Stamets says, why are you so angry with me? And he's like, that's a good question. I, I have a feeling it's going to go somewhere satisfying. But I I, th- I feel at the moment it's very hard to be super sympathetic with you. And I think that's what's making it difficult for me is that I feel like I get that he's angry and weird, but he's not experiencing any relief at coming home. And it is a sharp contrast to how he was in the network mm. when he was willing to die to let Paul go and to solve the problem that was happening because he didn't want to hurt anybody. And now he's been brought back to life and he's just like, nothing's quite right. I'm not having a bar of it. Get out of my life. You're like, it's a bit harsh. Hmm. Hugh? I mean, sure. I get that you can't just go back to life exactly as it was, but yeah, I'll be interested to see where it goes. Yeah. Me too. It's just, yeah. yeah. So let's see. Let's put a big question mark on that. Yeah. And look, we didn't see too many other characters. But we've got to talk about Spock, though. What about him? He's back. He is back. I mean, we don't see much of him, but we see a bit of him. He talks. He does. He does some martial arts. Talk about, can I also get a continuity issue? I'm hmm. I'm a very, like, I'm a hawk for continuity. Okay, I love it. And there's something about, okay, so get this, right? So uh, are we all on board that Spock has a beard because he's been so crazy he can't shave? Is that is that what we're I, thinking? I guess so, yeah. Because he has, like, the top, the cheek hairs that makes it look all crazy and homeless. <laughs> but underneath, he's got a perfect straight line oh, yeah. under his beard. It's been completely trimmed. There's no neck hairs. There's no neck beard. There's maybe, well, I mean, there is that line, Michael says, do you think that beard is working for you? <laughs> Which was, that was great. I really liked that. But, um, but at the same time, yeah, he's got a, he's got a TV beard. Yeah. Like, they never let you have a proper scraggle. Like, as a beard grower. 
why you're 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 on the uh, the beard visual linguistics. Yeah. For television, okay. Yeah, they never let you have a proper scraggly beard. Sure, sure. It's, it's always... like he probably wouldn't. He probably wouldn't have washed hair. You know what I mean? But yeah. yeah. He's got washed and blow dried hair. And you know what? That doesn't even really make that much sense because he goes on personal leave. He goes to this icy planet. He meets the red angel. He mind melds with them. Goes a bit nuts. And then goes to the psychiatric institution where he seems to be fairly compassmentous, even though he's drawing on the floor. But he's willing, like he's voluntarily admitted himself. And then his Section 31's coming from him. So he like, he's like, you know, see you later. Fights his way out and then escapes in his shuttle, somehow gets from the shuttle to Vulcan Amanda, and hides yeah. out with his mum, right? Where he gets worse. But I think it's, in, I think it makes kind of sense because the way the Telosians describe it is that. He's experiencing time in a non-linear way. Yeah, he's existing all at once. Like, yeah, in this he's cra- a bit yeah. all over the place. He's yeah. like, what's his name from Slaughterhouse Five? You know, so yeah. it's, uh, yeah. So I guess it makes sense that he has moments of lucidity, and like he has that moment on the shuttle when Burnham's trying to steer them away from the black hole, and he like wakes up enough to like kung fu her away from the controls, <laughs> which was great. Like I love that sort of it was slapping like two hands siblings, kind like of stuff. wrestling for the remote. You yeah, know? yeah, but with Vulcan martial Vul- arts yeah. training, it was cool. Um, so uh, yeah, I was into that, but, um, yeah. For me, I think because I watched the, I, I'd only ever seen the cage and then I watched the menagerie after this and, which is essentially the cage with another hour of stuff. Yeah. So I kind of fast forwarded all through the cage bits that they project. Yeah. But this like also puts into context because in the menagerie, Spock goes Spock goes wild, hog yeah. wild, yeah. and kidnaps Pike and takes him back to Talos Four and commandeers the Enterprise and lies and says that Kirk has given him the the bridge and mm. you know that is just completely outrageous. So it gives a lot of context now for how loyal he is to Pike mm. and you know how he is capable of doing something so out of control. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if he, I mean, he's seen all these weird visions of the future. I wonder if that's one of the visions he's seen. Like maybe he knows that has to happen. So um, what's he going to do now? He's on the, oh, he's going to be on the Discovery in there, like trying to clear his name. Yeah. I wonder if he's going to like get on the, get on the uniform and participate. Good question. I mean, they're, they're mutineers now, so the uniform doesn't seem that <laughs> important. Do you think, do you think the squids are the ones who shoot the missiles? Like it kind of looked like that in the in the preview of the future. What missiles? You know, the missiles that oh, blow up yeah. all the planets. Well, that's actually a good point. Like, I assumed that, but it might not be that. Yeah, because I thought, that's a bit obvious. But then who makes the squid robots and is it really just the Matrix but in space? Or is I just it something feel like, else? Yeah, exactly. I just feel like it's sentient robots Yeah. that are cephalopods for some reason well, well if i if look if i was a sentient robot and i can have any shape body i want well there's always the space sea analogy as well so yeah. you know that's logically i guess where it goes to kind of works yeah. yeah yeah shall we so we do some short chats yes please now it's time for rediscovery short chats where we talk news trivia and anything related to discovery and also any questions you have for us follow our socials and get in touch with us we'd always love to hear from you but captain you got one that you mentioned to me in our little <laughs> some late night texting <laughs> yeah and i'm very excited i want to hear about this so tell me okay so on for america like we have this other streaming platform here called stan and there's a show on there called penis but it's P E N 
one five right. ten fifteen. See, I didn't. I you know what? I'm such an innocent. I didn't pick up that it was penis when you texted it to me. I thought it was pen fifteen, and I'm like, You're what like, is that? That sounds about? intriguing. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, uh, did you ever watch Strangers with Candy back in the day? A little bit. It's it's kind of in that vein. So it's like these two women recreating their teenage years on it's a teen it's a teen drama but they're both 30 playing their 13 year old selves with all these other 13 year old actors <laughs> and it's really wrong and it's really hilarious okay hence penis and it's like i've never seen such an accurate depiction of the volatility and ridiculousness of teenage girls and also the tenderness of their relationships. Like my partner was like, do, do girls really love each other like this? And I'm like, yeah, they're like married. And he was just like, whoa, this is intense. This blows the mind. I mean, this is, you know, when I talk to teenage boys about this stuff, they don't know that. No. Right? <laughs> well, and... tell them to watch Pena, Pen 15. I will now. Give you the Pen 15. <laughs> I can't do that. It's probably rated M. So anyway, three or four episodes in, we're watching it last night and... Jack's like, don't you recognize who that is? And I was like, squinting. And I was just like, no. And he's like, it's Tuvok. What? He's much older now. That's the reason why I didn't recognize him because he has almost like completely gray hair and a gray goatee. But yeah, he's the music teacher on Penis. Wow. So there you go. Oh, I got to watch it now. Yeah, it's awesome. I love Tim Ross so much. Yeah, me too. He's my Vulcan space dad. Yeah. Just Tuvok. I reckon Tuvok is my favorite character of all time. He's so good. I, you know what? Tim Russ would absolutely come back for the Picard show if asked. Oh, Tim Russ does fanfic films, man. He loves it. Yeah. He loves it. Oh, He's that's such cool. a fan. Yeah. What's his character like in Penis? <laughs> <laughs> Just your regular. It's because it's such a boilerplate after school special type show. Yeah. He's just your. You know, he's he's your salty band leader, you know. <laughs> okay. He's just completely beleaguered and downtrodden by life. But okay. he makes the band play all of his own original compositions. <laughs> That's amazing. I know. Are they so good? good? No, they're terrible. Yeah, they're, they're okay. a total pastiche of terrible marching band music. Yeah, okay. You know? Yeah. <laughs> of course they are, of course. And what do you have? Uh, well, i got a couple of things. Um, we, we mentioned that the woman playing Vina uh, in this episode is Melissa George, best known to Australian viewers as, well, as Melissa George. <laughs> She's super famous here. Well, let me ask you, Ben, where, what do you know Melissa George primarily from uh, as being a person of almost the exact same age as me. Well, see, this is an interesting question because I grew up in a country town in Australia during a time when we didn't have all these different channels, right? We only had two channels. We had yeah. the ABC and we had our local channel. And our local commercial channel would buy... Was it Win? No, uh, it was it was called uh, NRTV, okay. Northern Rivers Television. It eventually got bought by 10 when they did the deregulation. So we did get other things but like most of those regional stations it only bought one or other or the other of the two big australian soap operas and my local station had neighbors and did not have home and away what so i had never seen home and away when i was younger and by the time i was old enough to watch it i just didn't watch it so so i've missed it i missed it but i know blowing my mind i know i know i didn't even know there was a class of australian that had it's like Sophie's Choice, like you've got Neighbours or Home and Away. Yeah. That's insane. But I know that's, that was where she got famous, playing Angel. It is, yes. And she was in it for like, how long was she in it for? Like Three years. Three or four years? Yeah. 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 
I wasn't a big Home and Away fan. Neighbours was my drug of choice. Mm. But when Home and Away did begin, I, you know, I was all over it. Yeah. So you do, do you remember the first time you saw her then? I mean, I mostly know her from her Hollywood career and sure. she's done some great stuff there. Yeah, she went over and started working pretty much straight away. Like, what, she finished Home and Away in 96 and then she's got her first credits here in Dark City in 98. Oh, Dark City but Dark actually City was is hit, where... But Dark City was shot in Sydney, wasn't it? Yeah, and look, that is yeah. that is the thing actually that I most know her from because I love that film. <laughs> I love it a lot. And her next credit is The Limey, but I do a Steven Soderbergh podcast and uh, she's just literally a photo <laughs> in the limey. She's this daughter that's died. And, oh, maybe she has like a couple of scenes where she doesn't speak. It's just a memory. Um, yeah, so I just have a bit of trivia about Melissa George. It's a thing oh. that I remember from reading in TV hits or whatever back in the day. It hit me, yeah. Is that she was a professional roller skater before she became an actress. Whoa. And that's how she was discovered. Holy moly. Yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing in Australia before <laughs> The 90s was Derby. wild. It was a wild time. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, well, you had one other thing about Doctor Who, was oh, it? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I mentioned that uh, that Doctor Who has also done this thing where they use footage from, like, long ago episodes um, in the new series. And I did some maths and I worked out that this episode does hold the record for the longest time between, you know, the episode being aired and when the previously on stuff was aired on TV. Except, well, it depends how you count it, right? Because if you count it from the year that it was made then it's 53 years Wow! between uh, 2019 and 1966 when they made The Cage, right? But they didn't air The Cage because it was the unaired pilot. It so when did they... It uh, didn't get so, shown on television uh, until 1980 was the first time it got shown on TV. But the footage was shown in the menagerie, so you should count it from then. Well, I guess that's true. So that would still be 53 years. Whereas the Doctor Who ones, the most recent regeneration story with Peter Capaldi, was only 51 years so this pips it at the post of 53. Sweet. Yeah, unless you count Further as- cementing that Star Trek is the best show of all time. <laughs> yeah. In all ways. Okay. Look, Firsts. Let's not fight, Carla. <laughs> We've been doing so well up until now. I just want to um, finish by uh, talking about Susan Oliver, who plays the original Vina. It was her birthday recently and- uh, trekmovie.com did this great post about her to say that she was a pilot and she was the fourth woman to fly a single-engine aircraft solo across the Atlantic. Wow. That's so awesome. she was extraordinarily beautiful and extraordinarily incredible. And talented. And talented. And a great actor. Yes. Wow. So RIP Susan Oliver. You've been listening to Rediscovery. You'll find links to all the creatives involved on our website, rediscoverypodcast.com. We'd love to connect with you. Please find us on Twitter and Facebook at Rediscovery Pod. Rediscovery is brought to you by Splendid Chaps Productions. Find more entertainment for your ears at splendidchaps.com.